everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right. Thanks, Barry, for, for joining us last week where we talked about the Mega Duck. That's right. We finally got him out of here. Well, we think we got him out of here. We finally got him out of this room. He might have gone to our premium edition lounge. He he might be sleeping in there still. We don't know. We'll find out later. Sometimes we have guests that just kind of wander in. We'll be somewhere in the studio, maybe writing notes or in the in the study or something like that. And uh, guests will just wander in and have either forgotten how to leave or <laughs> all the doors are broken again or something like that. Yeah. Well, it doesn't help that we uh, we got rid of the front door. We did. Yeah. Everyone leaves yeah. the roof. It's according to um, what uh, producer Doug says. Producer Doug. Producer wants Doug us to get everything. on with this episode. <laughs> yeah, he always does. Seth, what have you been recently playing? Uh, so recently, I've been playing a game with you back a little bit during the day of Thanksgiving, which was not too far away, but probably farther away than I think. It's probably really far away. People are already really thinking about Christmas by the time this episode comes out. This episode comes out in December, so people probably are thinking about Christmas. <laughs> they probably are. But anyway, back at Thanksgiving, uh, Zach and I were together as we celebrated the holiday, and we played uh, some Tecmo Super Bowl because when it's Thanksgiving time, you need to play. You need to watch football, and instead of watching actual football, we decided to watch Tecmo Super Bowl. We played the Sega Genesis version, which was released back in 1993. It was a. Uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, I think we had more fun than we thought we were going to have since Zach and I have no idea how football actually even works. We ended up playing, I want to say the AFC versus the NFC. There was no specific teams though. So don't think that we're being stupid and we didn't say actual teams. We weren't allowed to pick teams in whatever game mode that we played in. Uh, There might've been a game mode that allowed you to pick teams. That's not the game mode that we played. Uh, We just played where we, one person played the NFC and the other person played as the AFC and we were going against each other. And we probably, we had what Zach and I would refer to as the most boring football game that anyone could have watched. For those who don't understand how football works, which is probably just us versus our listeners, but anyway, I'm going to pedantically describe it from my perspective. You have to get a football, which is a, I wasn't like, kind of like oblong shaped. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a weird egg. Yeah, like a weird egg shaped uh, leather ball. It's not even a ball, really. It's like a weird no, egg shape. It's like a thing. weird egg. <laughs> yeah. You have to get it from one side of the field. You start in the middle of the field and you have to get it to your the side that is the scoring side, the opponent's side. Uh, and the opponent is trying to take the football away from you and get it to the other side, your side. If they do that, that's called a touchdown. And you can also score by kicking the ball through a giant goalpost and that's called a field goal yeah they're worth varying amounts of points a field goal is worth three points a touchdown's worth six points and a safety which is something that happens zach and i are still not sure why it happens but it does i think if you get tackled in the end zone yeah with the end zone is the area where you need to score well so if it's if you get if the opposite team is catching the ball in your end zone and you tackle them when they catch the ball that's a safety zach and i played four quarters with zero touchdowns that's right we ended the game seven to five zach with the seven and i with the five as we did only scored only field goals and safeties yeah yeah and we very frequently moved from the 50-yard line. We were either in the 50-yard line, the 60-yard line, or the 40-yard line. That's where we were through the entirety yeah, we, of the game. Yeah, we also punted the ball a lot. 
Oh, that yes. Oh, in the first half of the game, we tried to do traditional football tactics, and in the second half of the game, we only punted. Well, I realized when you punt, you get a lot of further on the map. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Versus running, fun. it was probably one of the worst football games that those Super Tecmo Bowl sprites have ever seen or participated in. Yeah, but it was ours, and at least we played. At least we experienced football on Thanksgiving. It may become a new annual tradition to play some Super Tech Mobile, and maybe Zach and I will become better every year. We can also play other football games, like there's Madden and stuff. Yeah, but let's be real. There's only one true football game, and that's Tecmo Super Bowl, which we still haven't done an episode on. No, we did do an episode many years ago on sports games. Yes, it's probably a bad episode. We should probably revisit that. <laughs> we may revisit sports games because some sports games we actually have. I actually enjoy sports games. Specifically, I enjoy like I have a, a really a good. A, I have a real fondness for like mid nineties sixteen bit sports games. Yeah, I like NHL ninety five. Yeah, NHL ninety five, Tecmo Super Bowl, Hardball uh, was a good one. That's NBA Jam. Like, NBA Jam. Like there's some classic really great games in the 90s Lakers versus Celtics for the Sega Genesis (laughs) yeah Joe Montana football yeah Zach has multiple copies of Joe Montana football so yeah maybe that's uh we will revisit sports games again and do a better job so Zach what have you been recently playing Seth recently I've been playing a brand new game which is Sonic Frontiers which came out this year 2022 and uh yeah it's a new Sonic game from Sonic Team and uh despite what I think a lot of people were expecting it's actually a pretty fun game I'm really enjoying it it's certainly better than the last mainline Sonic game Sonic Forces which came out back in 2017 I want to say yeah Sonic Frontiers is a whole new take on the Sonic games uh so previous mainline 3D Sonic games for the last 10 more years maybe longer going back to uh Sonic Unleashed which came out in 2008 have all been this one style of gameplay pretty much with like some very minor exceptions which is called the boost style where sonic runs in a straight line and can boost he goes a little faster and these two mixed effects some of the games in the boost series are pretty good sonic colors was really fun Uh, sonic unleashed is okay sonic generations also good and uh sonic forces was terrible but this game is doing something entirely new in that a portion of the game is all open world and another portion uses this kind of boost mechanic though it's slightly been uh updated it's not the same as it was the portion of the game that is open world uh is really impressive so you get this massive world that you can explore there's actually multiple islands you can go to in this world and uh you get to really travel them at your leisure sonic can go in any direction you can take on different tasks in the order that you want to take them on there are certain things that are locked behind like you know you have to get x number of items before you can unlock this thing or you could have to collect x number of this before you can talk to this character but beyond that you're really allowed to explore the the island that you're on uh, completely at your comfort. And I think that's a really cool thing. And it's something that I was very skeptical before I went into the game because I was like, oh, they're taking uh, Sonic and putting him in Breath of the Wild. Because <laughs> that's what it felt like to me. And yes, they kind of did that, but they did it a lot better than I think it sounds like they would have. In fact, it has some other elements that are similar to Breath of the Wild, being that instead of dungeons, which in Breath of the Wild, there are these kind of um, little tombs that you can visit 
randomly um, and they take you into a dungeon and when you go into the dungeon you do short little like puzzle tasks so you might have to like fight a boss or move an object around in a maze or uh, I think one of them was just like pressure plates but instead of those dungeons like in Breath of the Wild in Sonic Frontiers you have a thing called cyberspace so in cyberspace which are these pillars that you can access it will take you to a boost style Sonic level so you will be placed in like a a green hill looking zone and you can kind of race through and you have to collect various items or beat the level in a certain time Uh, and when you accomplish certain goals you will unlock keys and once you collect enough keys you can collect the chaos emeralds it's a pretty fun game i will say i put in initially when i started the game i put in about four and a half hours and at the end of the four and a half hours i had collected all six chaos emeralds and i was thinking to myself dang this game was pretty darn quick i must have just like blazed through it i might have to replay parts because i feel like i'm like getting into the end game or something and then you collect the final chaos emerald and you fight this massive boss that's like a titan and then you destroy it then you go to the next island because that was just the first island and there are five islands <laughs> and you lose the cast emeralds when you go to the next island you get blasted by like an energy Knuckles. beam and you have to recollect <laughs> no but that'd be funny and you have to recollect them before you know it i'm putting in another four and a half hours into the game and now i'm like hour i don't know ten and a half and I still have another 10 or so hours to go. Uh, it's a 20 plus hour game of Sonic. And uh, yeah, and but it's keeping me entertained. And the, the story itself is also not terrible for a Sonic game. It's a little weird. Sonic is uh, in the beginning of the game. Sonic and friends are traveling. They're supposed to be going to this place called Starfalls Island. Uh, they get attacked and Sonic wakes up and he's not only no longer with his friends, but he's also like on this island that he doesn't even recognize. And then his friends start showing up and they're all glitchy like they look like they've been half digitized so sonic has to figure out what's going on there and you also kind of are learning about this island and what happened to it in the past through these little creatures called cocos which they look like um uh, they look like clay pots with faces on them um and they're actually based on a japanese type of clay pot which is used to represent those who have passed and you learn that these clay pot faces figures are actually the souls of people who died and they are living out their last moments and sonic is trying to like help them move on it gets very deep and depressing and it sounds like lavender town yeah there's like a legitimately emotional moment and that happens in this game and it's a sonic game so whenever i think of like sonic and friends i think about that big blue creature guy that hangs out with them oh big is his name actually just big big the cat yeah yeah big the cat he's He's in this game he's just a big blue cat that's good (laughs) so is he fish yes that's all he does so in in sonic frontiers you go into one of the cyberspace areas and you end up at a pond big the cat's there and he's like hey sonic you want to go fishing sonic's like big what are you doing here and he's like i'm fishing Sonic's like, okay. And that's the explanation. And then you go fishing. And you can collect items. Uh, the fishing is just like a little mini game you do. It's not and it's not like an annoying one. Are there humans in Sonic Frontiers? And does Sonic have a weird relationship with them? There are humans in Sonic Frontiers. And by humans, I mean there's Dr. Robotnik, who is a human. And yes, Sonic does kind of have a weird relationship with Dr. Robotnik. So I answered both your questions correctly. He doesn't smooch anyone. <laughs> okay. I thought that was definitely in a sonic game where sonic was yeah that was back in that was back in 2006 and it was a it was a bad time 
<laughs> it, was, it was the worst of times. It was the best of times. Robotnik is in the game. Robotnik is like stuck in cyberspace trying to get yeah. out. And at one point he is talking to this character who shows up in the game called sage and sage is like you talk about sonic so much like you hate him but you also say that you respect him and robotnik's like well i do respect him he's like i respect the people i hate and he's like you know sometimes you have to have respect for the people you hate otherwise you won't understand them and you can't fight them a- 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 the way you would want to and i was like that's really insightful for dr robotnik but that's what i've been playing sonic frontiers and i will continue to play it because it's a good game well today we are going to be talking about a open world type game but it's not going to be a Sonic game. That game is that we're talking about is Spyro the Dragon for the PlayStation. Yes. We're going to go off with um, starting everything out with our memories of Spyro and how, what we're thinking about Spyro. I, uh, I remember with Spyro. So I remember the PlayStation 1 kiosks that were set up in stores mostly in the mall and i have memories of like the playstation one kiosk in my mind being set up at a toys r us and they always had spyro on them and they were like always running like the like the spyro intro and you could play a little bit of spyro and i was always very interested in playing spyro because it looked like it had a real open world game and you can play as a dragon and i was all for that i honestly have not played more than maybe i've played it but i've probably only played like 15 20 minutes of it i feel like correct me if i'm wrong but spyro's a little dragon i almost say it's like pilot wings with with a dragon i mean there's portions of the game that do like pilot wings i'm pretty sure but it's like an adventure game where you walk around and yeah blow fire there are portions that are flight centric they don't make up the majority of the game those are like no the lot of the majority of the game is like you running around blowing fire on things yeah that's pretty much my memories of spyro i remember we had family friends who owned a ps1 and they either had a copy of spyro 1 or spyro 2 i can't remember which one it was um but i used to love playing it i was really amazed as a kid just how open the world felt i i had familiarity with things like super mario 64 and stuff like that but this felt like i could really go anywhere and uh it didn't feel as restrictive as like a early 3d platformer often did largely because you had this flight mechanic and Spyro could glide around. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now, getting into the history of Spyro, Spyro got its start with a company called Insomniac Games. Insomniac was founded in 1994 by Ted Price as Extreme Games, but was later renamed to Insomniac in 1995. Ted Price had always wanted to get his hands into the game industry. Reportedly, this desire started as early as 1977 at the age of nine, when his family acquired an Atari 2600 and he had that first taste of what the video game world was going to be like. So he started Extreme Software with a friend of his named Alex Hastings in June of 1994. Alex was a computer programmer and in 1995 they had to rename the company. So they had to rename the company due to the fact that Extreme Software was already the name of a company that existed. Uh, So one rule of thumb if you start a company you can't have the same name as another company. So they had to go through a list of names and insomniac was one that stood out to them when they made that list though other names like ragnarok and 
Ice Nine were all that made it onto the shortlist, um, though they eventually did settle on Insomniac. They got to work on their first project within a year of the founding of the company. Uh, the first project was going to be a game similar to Doom, which was a very popular game at the time. They started work on a first-person shooter for the Panasonic 3DO, largely because the 3DO developer kits were really cheap at the time, so it was really easy to get your hands on one and start working on them. We actually uh, talked about the 3DO back um, with our standard brother, uh, Evil Jim, a number of episodes ago. So if mm-hmm. you want to learn more about the 3DO and you don't want to listen to Zach, you can go listen to that episode and you can yes. listen to Jim and I talk about the 3DO because Zach, I forgot what happened. Um, I was I was locked away because Seth uh, Seth put some boxes that he was moving out of the studio in front of a in front of a door when I was in there. And then he just never, he, even though I was screaming, I was shouting, I was trying to let it all out. And, nope, wasn't happening. Anyway, within a month, the team at Insomniac were able to put together a demo for a game. And they used this to pitch to various publishers. One person that was impressed by the pitch was Mark Cerny, an executive producer from Universal Interactive Studios. Mark provided the team with some funding, and they were soon able to hire actors for FMV sequences that would become used in the game. Uh, they also hired a lead production designer by the name of Catherine Hardwick. While Hardwick didn't remain in the game industry after uh, this job, uh, she did actually later go on to become a film director and worked on films such as the nativity story lords of dogtown and twilight twilight the vampire movie yeah Catherine hardwick's like a big name in film industry right now most recently she served as executive producer for don't worry darling which is uh the harry styles florence Pooh movie that came out this year and she's also worked on uh the tv show this is us the tv show the raven cycle which is coming out and the netflix show guillermo del toro's cabinet of curiosities uh, she worked on one of the episodes. I, when I hear Harry Styles, I think of the guy from uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? No, that's Ryan Styles. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Styles. Well, during development, the game was moved from the 3DO to the Sony PlayStation, as the 3DO was not doing super well in terms of sales, and they wanted their first game to be on a console that was actually selling. And their first game, Disruptor, would go on to be released in November of 1996. Disruptor was well received, uh, with various publications giving it good reviews, and even John Romero, the creator of Doom, and with Disruptor kind of being a kind of like a Doom clone, praised it. So when you know the guy that you copy said you did a good job, then you know you probably made a pretty good game. Though even though it was well received by critics, the game didn't get well received by people buying it which arguably is the more important thing. The game did not sell well and sold only about 200,000 copies. The game would go on to be considered a commercial failure and Insomniac was at risk of falling into bankruptcy, which happens when you release one game and it is a commercial failure. Uh, Commercial failure, generally a commercial failure for anyone who needs to have this clarification is uh, when a game sells under the amount that it costs for you to create the game. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why selling 200,000 copies, while sounds good, is not good for Disruptor. Because they had, had, probably... had to hire actors. They had to switch platforms. Anyway, the game 
was considered a commercial failure. Insomniac was at risk of falling into bankruptcy. Uh, Universal, who liked Insomniac, didn't want to lose the opportunity to work with them. So they said, all right, listen, we'll help you out. One of the reasons that Disruptor didn't sell well may have been due to the change of the people playing PlayStation games. Initially, the demographic was older teens and adults, where you had more serious PlayStation games on it. Um, and they were more violent, and there was a lot of more fighting games. However, by 1996, children and teenagers were migrating to the market. Insomniac saw this change as a chance to make something new. They got to work on a game that could appeal to the family-friendly market that Nintendo had been so good at capturing, especially with hits like Super Mario 64. Mark Cerny of Universal also wanted Insomniac to make a game with a mascot, someone that may be able to have as a friendly face of marketing or that they could use potentially for toys or other products. Because Universal wanted to be able to not only create a game, but also to create other products that they could license because that means more money because they're seeing Nintendo doing this with Mario. You have, you have Mario the game, but you also have Mario the toy, Mario the... Now you have even Mario Legos, but like Mario's and everything. Mario Cheerios. An artist at Insomniac, Craig Stitt, had expressed interest with the other team members in developing a game using a mythical creature, specifically dragons. Uh, the original idea that they put together was actually a bit darker than what the final product would be, with a large chunk of the game being inspired by the film Dragonheart, which frankly is extremely sad that they didn't have a game that came out that was Dragonheart. Dragonheart came out in 1996 and is one of the greatest movies <laughs> of all. <laughs> times i would put dragonheart as easily in my top five movies of all time up there with the the realms of uh galaxy quest and heart and soul or heart and souls i think it's i think it's <laughs> can't even remember the name it's all right the one with the bus uh <laughs> With Mark, <laughs> with Mark Cerny's push for a mascot, the team refocused on making a character that was less realistic and more cute because snuggly dragons sell more plush animals than scary dragons. Now, one of the original names that they wanted to use in the game that was for a character named Pete. However, this might have been an issue because Disney had a little movie called Pete's Dragon and no one, especially anyone at Insomniac, wanted to put up a fight with Disney. So they proposed another name, Pyro, um, but this was thought to be a little too mature sounding. Uh, so they eventually settled on Spyro, which kind of add, has that whole pyro, but has a little kind of cutesy spin on it, I guess. So first they said their, their character should be named Pete. Literally, there was a movie that had Pete. Like, somebody just saw, like, the advertisement for Pete's Dragon. was like, maybe our dragon should be named Pete. <laughs> like, that's like the laziest way to get to a name and then they're like meh let's call him pyro like fire ha 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 dragon and then they're like no way too mature let's put an s on that <laughs> like really man they could have they could have been a little more creative i feel like i could right now i could spitball a better dragon name than freaking spyro now, a fun fact about the development of the game was that Naughty Dog, who worked on the Crash Bandicoot games, were close to the Insomniac team. And not just like personally close, not just like the, the team knew each other and were friends, which they were. They were physically close to each other because they were located across the hall. So <laughs> the teams often would work together like they would have lunch together and hang out together. 
and share technology with each other. In fact, they were so close that a demo for Spyro the Dragon is hidden in Crash Bandicoot Warped, and a demo for Crash Bandicoot Warped is hidden in Spyro the Dragon. So they uh, they just gave each other little snippets of the games and they, they hid it in the code. I don't think you can access those like easily. I think you have to like really dig in there to grab the, those demos. Now, one part of the development in the character of Spyro um, was the color of his scales, which was something that they really needed to determine because ultimately it's what the character is going to look like because dragons tend to walk around naked. Spyro was originally going to be green, um, which I would say when you think about a dragon, I don't know. I often think of green. No, Smog's like gold, isn't he? Yeah, Smog is like gold. I, I think I'm thinking of, you know who I think I'm thinking of? I think Pete's dragon's green. <laughs> But the problem with making your dragon green in a game where he's running around on grass is that grass is also green. So instead of changing the color of grass, they changed the color of Spyro and they made him purple so that players could see the character a bit easier when they were playing the game. Now, the game was to be developed as a 3D platformer, uh, similar to other platformers at the time with one major exception, Spyro could glide. Uh, as Spyro was a dragon, his wings gave him this unique ability to glide from one point to the next. Uh, usually you'd have to get up on top of a, a tall object, but you could really glide around the map as long as uh, you weren't hitting the ground. And part of the way they were able to get Spyro's flight to feel so fluid was they hired a man named Matt Whiting, who was a NASA engineer who specialized in flight controls. So he knew one or two things about flying around. A major issue that the team encountered early uh, was the camera. Spyro's speed and the movement of the camera made playtesters sick, which is not something that you want to do to the people who buy your game. Uh, this was tweaked and eventually the camera was made to stay steady when the character did things like jump. In order to make the game run fluidly and efficiently, almost 80% of the code was written in assembly, which is not something that we do anymore. Assembly is like one of your base codes. Because it's isn't it assembly that actually talks to the BIOS? Yeah. Yeah, so like writing it down to the assembly level is like really, really like you are telling which things to which like whatever transistors to turn on and turn off and stuff like that i'm sure i'm saying it wrong but the rest of it was done in c so this helped uh keep things simple and it kept things fast which it, the game needed to be simple and fast because there was limitations that the playstation had they also incorporated a way to make certain objects appear more or less detailed based on distance which helped keep the memory usage down helping the game feel like it's going fast essentially this system meant that two different versions of the level would need to be rendered, one in high detail and one in a simpler render. Another unique factor of Spyro is the music. Compared to other games at the time, it's hard to describe, but the first song in this episode you would have heard is a composition from the game itself, which features fast-paced synthesizers music along with a noticeable bass line. So go back to the beginning of this episode and listen to it again, and you'll know the music was composed by Stuart Copeland, who was previously the drummer for the band The Police. Copeland was provided an early build of the game's level and would use this to inform his compositions. He reportedly wrote four songs per day during his time working on the project. Copeland also has reported being very fond of the music that he did for the game. The game, Spyro the Dragon, was unveiled at the 1998 E3 convention in Atlanta and was released in September 
of that same year. Now, the game, as mentioned, is a 3D platformer that features a dragon named Spyro. Spyro travels around the various realms of the dragon world to defeat the evil Nasty Nork. Nasty spelled G-N-A-S-T-Y, Nork spelled G-N-O-R-C. To do this, he must rescue fellow dragons who have been frozen as statues. Players must go from one world to the next, with each world acting as a hub to various stages. In each world, uh, you also have a boss that you need to fight. There are five worlds, and all of them are called home worlds. These home worlds consist of the artisans, the peacekeepers, the magic crafters, the beast makers, and the dream weavers. Now, one nifty function of the game is the fact that Spyro has a floating dragonfly named Sparks. Sparks is actually a multifunctional character. His color itself represents Spyro's health, yellow being for full health, blue being damaged, green being um, the most injured, and if Spark disappears and Spyro takes another hit, he will lose a life. Sparks also helps collect items if he is close to them. Uh, he flies over, snags things like gems that have been recently dropped. This makes item collection a bit quicker. It also means that you don't necessarily have to be exactly lined up with an item on the ground to snag it, which I will say is really good to have in a 3D platformer, especially because if you want to go fast, you're not necessarily going to want to stop and collect every single gem that's in front of you, especially if they're not all in a straight line. So having Sparks there allows you to collect the ones that are available and makes it a lot quicker. To attack, uh, Spyro is able to either headbutt an object or blow fire on it. Some enemies can only be destroyed with the headbutt, others can only be destroyed with the fire. Spyro can also glide or do a little flutter with his wings. Do you know who the opposite of Sparks is? Navi. Navi, yeah, Navi. <laughs> Now, Spyro the Dragon would go on to sell very well. Though sales were slow in first in the first month of release. Once the holiday rolled around, though, the Purple Dragon was becoming a huge hit. In the week of November 29th, 1998, Spyro the Dragon was the third best-selling game in the UK, behind Tomb Raider and FIFA 1999. By 1999, it had sold one million copies in North America, and by 2007, it had gone to sell on five million units total, which is significantly more units than 200,000. Yeah. Uh, Spyro would go on to become the mascot for the PlayStation, along with Crash Bandicoot, and the game was highly regarded due to the sprawling world, and its popularity led to two sequels for the PlayStation, Ripto's Rage and The Year of the Dragon, which were released in 1999 and 2000. Uh, fun fact about Ripto's Rage, the name Ripto came from the Japanese release of Spyro when they translated Spyro's name it kind of looks with like the aesthetic they applied to it like the word ripto so the american devs at insomniac were looking at like the the jewel case for the japanese release and were like hey that kind of looks like the word ripto that's a good name <laughs> and they used it for the the villain in the second game in 2001 the development of the games uh were moved from insomniac to other developers one of these companies was digital eclipse who created seasons of the ice for the game boy advance another company Equinox Digital Entertainment worked on a multi-platform title Enter the Dragonfly, which were released in 2002 for PlayStation 2 and the GameCube. I'm sure Seasons of Ice is a sad port of Spyro. Some of the Game Boy Spyro games, or the Game Boy Advance ones, are okay 
from what I've heard. Some of them are not okay. Uh, a somewhat mediocre reboot of the series called The Legend of Spyro was released in 2006 through 2008 by Chrome Studios, spelled with a K. Uh, Spyro later would appear along with some other characters from his series in the Toys to Life series, Skylanders. Uh, most recently, a full remaster of the original trilogy called Spyro Reignited Trilogy was released in 2018 by developer Toys for Bob and published by current Spyro owners Activision, which actually is Blizzard Vision or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think what ended up happening was, I think, might be wrong, but I think Universal, the game company, I think was sold to Activision. Because I think when Universal was like, we don't need a game company anymore, they, they I think they sold their game stuff to Activision. Activision got a whole bunch of stuff oh, out yeah. of it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Universal decided that they were no longer in the game industry. Yeah, and Insomniac went on to become a uh, PlayStation studio. They, Insomniac is uh, exclusive to Sony. Um, they've only recently started putting stuff out on like PC. All right. That's our Spyro episode. I'm sure we will revisit Insomniac in a later date. Uh, they also produced some great games like Ratchet and Clank, and they created the Resistance series, um, both of which Ratchet and Clank and Resistance are starting to fall into that category of being games that are now kind of retro. So <laughs> I'm sure we will revisit them uh, at a later date. But for now, we're going to move into our Retro Rewind. For the Retro Rewind, Seth had me play Vector Man. Vector Man was developed by Blue Sky Software and published by Sega for the Sega Genesis. It's a game where you play as Vector Man. I think that's his name. He is an Orbot. Orbots are robots made of orbs. Uh, and in the story of Vector Man, the Orbots were created to destroy pollution and clean up the earth. However, Vector Man is tasked with stopping an evil robot who has armed himself with a nuclear missile that he has attached to his head. And this robot renamed himself Warhead. That's what I would do myself if I had a nuclear missile attached to my head. I love it. He found a nuclear missile and he's like this is my head now <laughs> and now he's warhead uh so yeah vector man is tasked with stopping warhead and saving the day um and he does what every good trash person a uh, trash man does and that is clean up <laughs> everyone's act <laughs> i love vector man it's a weird almost 3d style game it's got this kind of like aesthetic where everything's like feels pre-rendered and i don't know it's just it's it's a lot of fun uh, though i think i personally prefer vector man 2 uh, vector man 2 has a equally silly storyline where vector man is just like bopping along to music one day and then he gets hit by a missile and then he just like lands on a planet full of bugs and i, I just think that's hilarious <laughs> but um yeah vector man is just this kind of like cool guy he like shoots blasts of energy from his hands he's made of orbs he's kind of like got this cool like very smooth movement to him i don't know it's just a it's a very aesthetically pleasing game and i liked it i liked the first game and i liked the second game so i would say vector man does hold up next week seth i want you to play pool of radiance but i want you to play the one that was released on the nintendo entertainment system fine i may give you a game that's on theme zach had me play fantastic Dizzy. Uh, Dizzy is a mascot that is very popular in the UK and not so popular in the US. Uh, he's an egg-like 
creature who has to spin and roll when he slowly jumps anywhere. Uh, Fantastic Dizzy is a platforming adventure game where you go around and collect items and try not to die. It's okay. If you have fond memories of Dizzy, you'll probably enjoy the nostalgic factor and the music of Dizzy, which is pretty fun. If you have no memories of Dizzy, then you'll probably just be confused why a Humpty Dumpty character is the protagonist. I think that the gameplay holds up to today and can be fun if you're looking for a platforming adventure game. So yeah, so that's the Fantastic Dizzy uh, for the Sega Genesis. Zach. Yes. For next time, you can play Dungeon Master, the 1987 game for the Atari ST. Looking forward to it, Seth. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to another Classic Gaming Brothers episode. We are uh, glad you're here. If you have any questions or things that you want to tell us, you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You have any recommendations? Feel free to send them over to us. You can also reach out to us via our Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, or Twitter. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch are Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. Be sure to check out our website, classicgamingbrothers.com. And uh, yeah, follow us on all the various social medias and be sure to listen to us where podcasts can be found. Uh, we are available everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, etc. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Seth, do you have anything you would like to contribute to this conversation? No, no. All right. Wait, 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 wait. Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That is right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right.